Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is part five of our What If series, which is What If Bust Never Became Bust? The first guy we're going to talk about is Kwame Brown, the first overall pick of the 2001 NBA draft. So, Jalen, we knew Kwame Brown was a bust. Why did he become a bust? Was it the situation with Michael Jordan? Was it inexperience? What do you think it was? Honestly, man, I wish we could ask Kwame himself because, honestly, I don't get it. A near seven-footer, 270 pounds, and you end up averaging 6.6 points and 5.5 rebounds? for your career, you are dang near seven foot and you have five and a half rebounds to your career. His best year, hilarious enough, was his third year with the Wizards and he averaged 10.9 points and 7.4 rebounds. I think if he could have just been that for his career, him being what Tyson Chandler has been, would have at least made him less of a bust. Now, at the end of the day, let's define bust for anybody who's listening. That means, when looking at it for an NBA player, that means that you underachieved in comparison to where you were drafted in whatever your respective draft class is. That's in respect to where you were drafted in terms of the order, who was drafted before or after you, and how you produced on the court. Does it mean that you have to have a ring to show for it? No, but your ability to impact the game based on where you were drafted shows whether or not you underachieved as busts do or overachieved in which most hidden gym all-stars are found. So when it comes to Kwame Brown, to be a guy whose best season, he averaged 11 and seven at seven feet. Now I give him this. For somebody who definitely underachieved and was definitely underwhelming for his stint in the league, he he did somehow last 13 seasons. So, I mean, I guess it goes down to that you can't teach seven-foot type of thing because otherwise I'm not really feeling it. But I will say if there was any excuse I could give him is that for a young player coming out of high school to in your career have Michael Jordan on your team at one point and to, again, down the line, end up also playing with a guy in Kobe Bryant, the Michael Jordan clone himself. I would say that Kwame Brown has enough PTSD stories to have his own Jordan doc soon. So, I mean, I guess maybe there's that. Ryan, what do you think was the difference in Kwame Brown being a journeyman center versus being like, you know, one of the top centers in the league when he came in? So. Two things, inexperience and hype. Inexperience because, let's keep in mind, he was a high school player. He went straight from high school to the NBA. Everybody thought he could be a generational player. Even Michael Jordan thought he was going to be a generational player. But it turned out that wasn't the case. I think the ceiling for Kwame Brown was the next Kevin Garnett, a guy who, in Kevin Garnett, such a powerful force to be reckoned with. As a big man, I mean, again, I think he's a generational big man in Kevin Garnett. But I think 
in order for Kwame Brown to be like Kevin Garnett, you'd have to be fundamentally sound as a big man. And I kind of feel like he wasn't there yet. With that being said, the fact that he really didn't pan out in Michael Jordan's Wizards and in Kobe Bryant's Lakers kind of says something. I kind of feel like he's a bust, but kind. There's, there's also a feeling that he's played 13 years in the league and he's played for multiple different teams. He is a bust, but at what degree is he a bust? Is he like, we're going to get to him later, but is he Anthony Bennett level bust? Or is he like Darko Milicic bust where he sticks around in the league for a couple years and Darko actually won a championship at one point with the Pistons. So what degree of bust are we talking about? Are we talking about like the Anthony Bennett level where he never really got off to a great start and it just hampered his time in the NBA? Or are we talking about like Darko Milicic who stuck around for like a lot of different teams and ended up getting a ring? Well, I mean, okay, well, well let's transition to Anthony Bennett because I feel like we can come up with that together. I mean, personally, I would have to say that Kwame Brown is more on the Anthony Bennett level than the Darko Milicic. One, Darko at least got his ring. So he has that to show for himself. Two, Darko did get significant PT on that team, getting pretty good playing time on the Pistons. Granted, I mean, I wouldn't take him over Ben Wallace or something like that, for example. But did he get time in the game? Did he get to play for one of the better defenses in the league at the time? Yes, he did. And again, it kind of goes similar to Kwame Brown. You can't teach seven feet. So when it comes to Darko, it kind of was what it was in terms of his ability to stay on the floor and also stay in the league for as long as he did. Looking at Anthony Bennett, I think the production-wise, it's pretty similar. Anthony Bennett, career 4.4 points for his, what, three-year stint in the league, 3.1 rebounds as a six-foot-eight guy. I'll put it this way. I'll put it this way. For both of them, I feel like their best year could have been their career and it would have made them a lot more formidable and would have made them a lot more respected in terms of their draft class than they were. Now, for Anthony Bennett, I wouldn't say that his best year in the NBA would be acceptable, but in college at UNLV, he averaged 16.1 points and 8.1 rebounds per game, shooting 53, damn near 54% from the floor and shoot shot almost 40% from three. Like, if you tell me that that guy translated to the NBA, he could have averaged 12 to 15 points instead of 16 and averaged anywhere between six and eight rebounds. And would he have been everything that the number one pick is chopped up to be? No. But would he be Otto Porter, who was taken third overall, but got a huge payday because he shot the lights out two years in a row from three? Yeah, okay, Anthony Bennett can have a 7- to 10-year career with solid numbers like what he put up in college. So that it's not even just the fact that he underachieved so significantly. It's that with everything, you already were a reach. I mean, that year, I think, what did, what did you say earlier? That two of his comparisons were guys who either barely got playing time, were backups, or maybe at best six men on the teams that they were, you were already a reach in your draft class as it was. So for you to not come into the league and at least, at least 
show them what you what what you showed them when you were in college i mean dude talk about a talk about a fall off i mean instead of you know trading andrew wiggins as part of the uh Cavs trade in terms of trying to get kevin love i mean to be honest you could have traded you could have kept Wiggins in the deal, kept Bent Bennett in the deal, and gave him a bag of chips, and they would have felt a lot better about the deal, more so because of the chips than getting Bennett. I mean, <laughs> legitimately. So, I, I mean, when I would compare the two, I would say Kwame Brown is on the Bennett level, but you can go on him, Bennett, if I haven't done enough already. Well, before we get into Anthony Bennett, this 2013 draft class, it was not something to be, like, proud of. Again, not a lot of products. Again, this was not the worst draft class of all time. I think 2000, maybe 1997 even, were two of the worst draft classes that I've seen. 2013 was not the worst draft class because of some of the players that came out. Obviously, at the time, that wasn't the case because there really wasn't a clear number one pick, maybe outside of Maryland's Noel, but injuries kind of hampered him in college. But I think that, I mean, who would you really choose as number one? I mean, C.J. McCollum, Stephen Adams, Victor Oladipo, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who would be the future MVP. Honestly, Jalen, you could have been the number one pick in that draft. <laughs> I just, oh, you, man. Dude, like, no, it, it's not just that. I would have rather had a bag of potato chips over Anthony Bennett. I, just, I can't be mad at you for that. I don't – I just don't – like, look, Anthony Bennett, I don't even know. Is, is, he, is there even a good thing to say about him? What, average 4.4 points per game, over three rebounds? He's been on four different teams in four years. He played one year at UNLV and averaged 16 and 8. Even though he had put up some good numbers shooting-wise, I mean, are you really going to take Anthony Bennett, who's already a stretch, like you said – a stretch in his class. I mean, if you're being compared to Rodney Rogers and Jason Maxiel, those aren't necessarily number one player comparisons. I mean, yeah, they had decent careers, but if your number one player, if your number one pick overall is slated to have a decent career, what are you really getting? Especially considering that you passed on Victor Oladipo C.J. McCollum, Stephen Adams, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and even Otto Porter. Like, I'll just say they could have taken Ben McLemore number one, but even that was a stretch during that time. And okay, but right. So, so let me, but so, so let me, let me ask you something off of that though, because the focus is obviously what if they weren't bust. So, what do you, in your opinion, feel like he could have done? to make himself not fall into that bus category. I feel like it would just be as simple as do what you did in college. For most people, for a number one pick that's dropped 27 points, get 10 rebounds, get five assists, and it is what it is, or, you know, something exponential. I'm asking for the guy to give me either between 12 and six and 16 and eight. What do you feel like, especially with the draft class being as weak as you, as, as you pointed out, what do you feel like it was that he could have done to make it at least where he didn't fall into like the top 10 biggest busts in NBA history list, for example? What he could have done for me is probably similar to, similar to the next guy that we're talking about. Work ethic. 
put work in and practice. And if you put the work in and practice, you're going to succeed on the floor. I mean, it doesn't come easy. I can't tell you what you need to do to succeed. I'm telling you, you kind of struggled with your work ethic. He just didn't want to get better. And my advice to him, I guess, would just be try to get better. Like put in the work of practice. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll get a starting spot at one point. The fact that you missed your first 16 career shot attempts kind of signals to me that you are, you are not putting the work in at practice. I think if he puts the work in, the results will come out. Do you feel the same way, Jalen? Or am I just thinking maybe it's just the work ethic? I mean, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I feel like there's a lot of NBA players that you could say that about if you really sat down and, you know, took the time to look into how they participate in the practices and things like that. I would definitely say that at the end of the day, I think hype cracked his psyche. I think the expectations that come with being a number one overall pick, I think the expectations that come with being a number one overall pick for the Cleveland Cavaliers, whose most notable first-round picks in their entire NBA history are LeBron James, who was a hometown, you know, pretty much almost got him on a hometown discount. Now, the fact that really getting a player that's from a place like, you know, Akron, Ohio, landing on a Cleveland squad kind of is lucky by itself. And then getting a guy like Kyrie Irving, who obviously you saw the potential there with him coming out of Duke, even though he only played like eight games, everything about his talent obviously screamed that. So when you have to play up to the uh, expectation or the caliber of being a part of an organization that when it comes to relying on first round picks and number one overall picks at that, those are the two guys that automatically you get compared to in terms of what you end up doing. I would definitely say that pressure cracked him, but I mean, maybe it was work ethic, but I feel like at the same time, it's like living, having to live up to that hype is like a two way street. Cause you can either accept it and over overachieve, or I guess in his case, live up to all the hype that was given by the Cavaliers and all the respect that I guess they gave him to the fact that they decided to draft him or you could do what he did and fold and play for three teams in three years so I don't know man I think Anthony Bennett unfortunately out of all three out of all three players that we're going to talk about today I think he is the one who had bust written all over him the most I mean hands down People said that he was arguably the worst number one pick overall in sports. It's starting to be less arguable, I have to yeah. tell you. I feel like Kwame Brown, if, he, if things went differently for him, he definitely could have been a much better player. I think he had some potential. He kind of showed that in his third and fourth seasons with the Wizards. There was some potential there. I feel like there was just no potential with Anthony Bennett. He really just didn't show me any qualities. I mean, also, he went to UNLV. Like, what teams are UNLV playing in that conference? They're not in the uh, Big Ten or the Pac-12. Like, they're not in the SEC. They're not in the ACC, for that matter. It's just, like, who, who are they really playing? And it's like he's playing up 16-8 and eight against who? Valparaiso? Pepperdine? Mm-hmm. I don't know who he's playing up these numbers against. But I just – I feel like 
he never had that drive to really like make him want to go out and succeed. I mean, the fact that he was cut by a team overseas and the D league nets is not really something that I would want to be proud of. I don't even know if things could have gone differently for him. I feel like things were just gone the same for him. Well, I think the next player we're about to talk about, and you alluded to it earlier. I think he's the one that out of the three players we named off, he's the one who I feel like just needed one more better situation than the one he was given. And I think he could have been the best player out of the three guys we're listing, which I guess in retrospect might not sound like the best thing. But when we're talking about NBA busts, just not ending up on the list makes your career a lot better than most because there's a lot of bust lists out there. So that third guy is um, a guy named Michael Olawakandi. His name is weird. And man, I, it, it, was, it was weird just even kind of looking into him because I wasn't really sure what got him picked first overall besides the fact that he was a seven-footer, which, I mean, ironically is the theme for today. Seven-footers, man, are just... Earlier in the earlier in the NBA stints, especially early 2000s, it just seemed like if you took a center number one overall, you had to hit because if you didn't, the boom bust potential was like through the roof in both ways. I mean, looking back at it, Olua Candy was one of four centers on the Clippers when he got drafted, like literally one of four centers on the team. And he was taken first overall. Like, it was something that they, like, just desperately needed to do. And, I mean, he ended up going on to average 8.3 points um, for his career, 6.8 rebounds. He shot 43.5% from the floor, and he averaged almost two blocks a game. If you want a rotational center, like, in today's NBA, a lot of people um, look to, like, a good rotational fantasy pickup center, like Willie Cauley-Stein, for example. That's what Michael Olawakandi's career was. Now, to me, I feel like having a rotational center like Willie Cauley-Stein is good on any roster. Not when you draft him with the first overall pick, though. Not with the first overall pick. And not if you have three other centers already on the roster. So, I mean, his best, his best year was 2002-2003 season with the Clippers, where he averaged 12.3 points, 9.1 rebounds, 42.7% from the floor and averaged nearly two and a half blocks. Again, similar to these other guys, but really more so in his case, you just average that or somewhere in the vicinity of that for your career, 12 and nine, which I get, guess eight and six, somewhere close. But if you just average 12 and nine with two blocks per game for your career, you're basically a Matumbo-like shot-blocking center who has a long career, which, I mean, he still sort of did, but you have a long-standing career, and you kind of get put into the echelon, kind of similar to what I said about Kwame Brown, as being one of those, like, Tyson Chandler, Joakim Noah, potential maybe Al Horford at best. Maybe not in terms of three-point shooting, but in terms of being, like, a leader from the center position. And he just wasn't able to do that. Ryan, do you think that it was something in relation to his skills on the floor, or was it just the fact that he got drafted by a dormant franchise like the Clippers, who just seemed to have been cursed up until about, what, less than a little less than a decade ago? Before I even talk about him, 
I was trying to find highlights of him to see, like, okay, what am I getting myself into when I'm talking about Michael <laughs> Oluwa Candy? Jalen, the first highlight I saw of Michael Oluwa Candy, the, I'll, I'll tell you what the video's the video's name was Michael Oluwa Candy, 1998 number one overall pick highlights. The first video that showed up was him getting posterized by Amari Stoudemire. And then the second one is him getting posterized by, like, Kobe Bryant when he was with the Timberwolves. I'm like, wait, so are all these – and then the next one was, like, a posterize, then a posterize, and then a poster, and another poster, and another poster. I was like, okay, I get the theme here. He was dunked over a bunch of times. So I think a multitude of things just really did not go his way. First of all, he did not, he did not listen to the advice of one Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem was brought into the Clippers to help Michael Oluwa Candy develop into a star. When he criticized Oluwa Candy, Oluwa Candy felt embarrassed. This is apparently a story. I don't, I believe this happened, Hmm. but interesting. Honestly, look, it's another thing with work ethic. I think the second thing, like you said, is situation. If you remember when we talked about when Greg Oden got drafted by the Blazers, they didn't need a big man. Like for no. they, they are they already have three centers without him. So it's just it's just too much to think about that you really wasted your pick on Michael Ottawa Candy instead of picking up a Paul Pierce or a Dirk Nowitzki. And it's just it's it's work ethic. Same thing. Same thing I said with Anthony Bennett. I feel like he never had it. If your career was was uh, remind me of the numbers again, Jalen. For his career, eight point three points, six point eight rebounds. Okay, you're averaging eight blocks per game. Eight and six in your career. Okay, and you've been in the league for what nine years? Been on what three different teams? Four different teams? I just I don't know, man. You know, I I just feel like. The highlight of his career will always be him getting posterized by Amari Stoudemire. I, I'm telling you, like, I went to go find highlights. The first thing that shows up is him getting posterized by Amari Stoudemire. I, I don't and even I know. Think, and, Ryan, I think the thing about it is we weren't trying to come create some type of theme in terms of these biggest busts. Like, these are guys that if you look up any NBA biggest bust list, like, they're going to end up somewhere in the top ten. Like, they, easily. Some potentially the top five. If you if you you really do your research, but I think the biggest thing that this goes to show you is that the fall of the big man took place way sooner than when Steph Curry started shooting threes lights out a couple of years ago. Like yes, the big men have been phased out of the game or at least slowly being phased out of the game. But guys like Kristaps Porzingis, Joel Embiid, hopefully Demarcus Cousins if he can get himself healthy again, and Carl Anthony Towns. I also include Nikola Jokic as well as guys who are stretch four, stretch five guys. But in terms of the traditional back-to-the-basket center who shot blocks and does his thing from, you know, the low block, DeAndre Jordan, um, DeAndre Ayton to a certain extent, and I guess what, maybe Clint Capella are like the only other guys that I feel like that can do those type of things at an elite level and still be productive enough to not get ran off the floor and that's not even entirely accurate depending on how they shoot from the free throw line so I think guys like this who were big bust heavy players 
are the ones that set this um, unfortunate foundation for the big man being phased out of the game because the higher you reach on them, the more potential strikeouts you have where you end up getting more guys like this than getting the the Giannis's of the world. Um, Chris Stops, like I mentioned before, who they actually took at, uh, who the Knicks took at four, things like that. I mean, even Joel Embiid was taken third, and I feel like he could probably be better than what he is if, you know, again, I think the big word, the big uh, phrase here is work ethic, like you said before, but also, you know, injuries plaguing his career early on, especially when he first got drafted, which was partially part of the reason why he didn't get drafted number one overall in the first place in his respective draft. So, I mean, I think the biggest part of this conversation just goes to show you that, like, these biggest busts, we're not picking on the big men. It's just that this is where the phasing out of that position, the center position, the back to the basket, low post, grit and grind, if you will, style of play started to die is with players like these who essentially were taken early, earlier than they should have due to hype, but were not all around players at a level that was worth where they got taken. I mean, just another thing to, to go off that point, he couldn't defend the rim. He was supposed to be a rim protector. And I'm just – I just don't get, like, what could have happened to him, like what really happened to him. I mean, he was the number one overall pick on a bad Clippers team. I just feel like what he could have done to help – if he had listened to the advice that was given to him, he definitely could have been a much better player. He could have fixed his defense and then developed his post game. I think if you think about the year after as well, when they drafted Lamar Odom, you think about what a formidable front court that would have been with Lamar Odom panning out to be a nice power forward. And then Michael Oluwakandi develop into what could have been nice center for the Clippers at that time. And I get it. There wasn't a lot of talent on that team, but they were going to sign a lot of people in the future they were going to sign a guy like Corey Maggette in the future. They were going to sign a guy like Sam Cassell in the future. Those guys have talent. So if you think about like what the future could have been for Michael Oluwakandi, it actually wouldn't have been a bad team that he would have been on. I think maybe at most a six seed. I would say at least they were an eight seed. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're definitely better than some of the Western Conference teams of that era, considering the Western Conference isn't what it is now. But I feel like that if he developed, he could have been part of a great team. I mean, this episode is all about underachievers, man. Now, I mean, there's definitely little things that I feel like these guys could have done differently to make their career at least save them from being included on the bust list. But, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said before, I think the biggest hit is just the NBA and basketball in general is becoming a more pace and space style league and with that being the case centers like these you know they just don't make it in the league anymore unfortunately they just were the start of that and that's the road that the nba is taking all right well this was a great discussion today on the hoop talk podcast on the next episode we're going to talk about part six of our what if series (laughs) 